Like all of you, I'm sure, I have keys. And uh, just by a show of hands, if you're online, throw it in the, in the chat. How many of you have like four keys or less? Just raise your hands. Y'all are, I feel a little bit weird now. Okay. How many of you are janitors? And you know what you mean if you are. That, those of you, those are you, you've got more keys than you have like locks. You're not quite sure. Like on this, on this set of keys, I've got, got my car key, I've got my house key, and then I don't know. I don't know what I have. I've got a, a lock. It says CubeSmart, so I'm pretty sure that that is a lock that I got for a storage unit that I no longer have. Um, and then the rest of them are Access Plus, and they're copies, and who knows what. So good luck if you steal these keys. I don't know. But we all have keys, right? And the, the thing about keys is that they open things, right? This is not, this is not news to most. If it, if it is news, so keys, they go in a lock and you turn. We, we know what it is. Although I imagine 20 years from now, people will look at car keys and they'll be like, what, what is that? Because we all have the, they're the keyless uh, keys fobs, I guess they call them. Anyhow, but we have keys and we use them to open things. And in fact, the, the difference between a homeowner and a thief is whether or not you have the keys, right? The difference between whether or not you're breaking in and coming in, again, is whether or not you have the keys. And today, we're, we're going to continue in our series with, with Paul talking to the Colossians, and, and he's going to speak about what it looks like before we have the keys and after we have the keys. And then he's going to really describe what that key is. So if you'll stand with me, we're going to be reading out of Colossians. You can get your Bibles out. Colossians is in the New Testament. Uh, it's, it's towards the bottom if you have an app and you're swiping up. Colossians chapter 1, verses 21 through 23. And you who were once alienated... And hostile in mind, doing evil deeds, he has now reconciled in his body of flesh by his death, in order to present you holy and blameless and above reproach before him. If indeed you continue in the faith, stable and steadfast, not shifting from the hope of the gospel that you heard, which has been proclaimed in all creation under heaven, and of which I, Paul, became a minister. This is the word of the Lord to us. Let's pray yet again. Father God, we thank you for your gospel. God, we thank you for the good news that Paul has preached, that has gone out throughout creation, and that, like the Colossians, we have heard. And God, I pray that we would hold tightly this unique key that opens up so many things to us Lord, the key of your reconciliation uh, wrought by the blood of your Son. God, I pray that we would appreciate it, that we would cherish it, and we would not substitute for it any other fake, false, fraudulent gospel. God, I pray that you would help us to Take what you have done in history and, and then contextualize it for the various areas of our life. Holy Spirit, give us wisdom to, 
to receive and understand what your word has to say in order that we might step into the power that exists in your word. The power that comes from us abiding in and living out your spirit-empowered, spirit-inspired, Christ-centered, God-glorifying word. Be with us, we pray. Open our eyes to behold wonderful things in your word, we pray. In Jesus' name, amen. You can be seated. So if we were, if you're taking notes, there really are three things that we see here. Paul speaks of life unreconciled, life reconciled, and then the assurance of that reconciliation. Life unreconciled, life reconciled, and then the assurance, how we know that we are reconciled before God. This idea of reconciliation is, is taking two parties who are at, at odds with one another and, and bringing them together in such a way that there is a, a new relationship, a, an amicable, uh, a loving, a, a positive, and aligned relationship. And Paul starts in, in verse 21, and, and he describes what all of us look like apart from Christ, what all of us are born into as those who are under the curse of Adam, born into sin, both, both sinners by, by nature and choice, and enemies of God. He says in verse 21, and you who once were what? Alienated and hostile in mind, doing evil deeds. It's a bleak picture that he gives us, this idea of living life unreconciled toward God. And you might be tempted if you look at your life and, and you consider who you were before Christ, or maybe if you're here and you're not necessarily one who would, would call himself or herself a Christian, you might look at your life and say, really? Alienated? Hostile in mind? And, and doing evil deeds? Really? I, I, I'm a pretty good person. I, I do okay. Maybe, okay, I, I do occasionally, I, I, I have the white lie or, or I, I curse under my breath or, you know, I'm, I'm not always nice or, you know, I've not treated everyone exactly how I feel like they ought to have been treated. And there was that one time when I was, when I was 12 and I was with my friends and I stole a, a, a Snickers bar from the 7-Eleven. You might have those little things, but you say, by and large, though, I am an okay person. And, and to this, Paul would say, no, you're not. I'm not. He says that we are alienated, hostile in mind, doing evil deeds. You see, when it comes to, when it comes to God, there's, not, there's no gradation. You know, when we look at our lives and we, we, we look at the people around us, we, we all live on a spectrum and we're like, you know, there, there's a spectrum of, of evil and, and by and large, most of us say, and I'm at the top. And I'm, I'm on the right side of this thing. And everyone else is a little bit better. I mean, there is Mother Teresa. I'll give you that. She's better than me. You know, there was so-and-so pastor or so-and-so, you know, person. But, but everyone else is, I mean, have you been to work? Have you, have you worked as a contractor? Have you, um, have you, met, have you met their kids? And, and we, we begin to try and create this gradation. But the problem is, for God, you're either holy or you're not. You're either perfect 
or you're not. And, and when I was a youth pastor, I used to use this analogy to kind of break down what it means for us to be um, enemies of God, alienated, sinners. You know, we would look at a, a particular sin. Let's, let's talk about, okay, telling a white lie. If you were to tell me a white lie, that I, probably I wouldn't know and life would go on and whatever it would be. But if, if we found out, if I found out that you, you told me a white lie, I might say, hey, what was that about? You know, and we might have a kind of a pastoral conversation. What, what brought this up? You know, why, why did you feel the need to lie? Blah, blah, blah. But if you tell a white lie on a governmental document, you might get in a little bit more trouble. Right? Oh, you miss a zero or you, you misplace the decimal point. You know, we just had tax, taxes, tax day leave us by the grace of God. And if you tell a white lie, you might get audited and you might have to you might have to deal with that. But if you tell a white lie while you're giving testimony in a court or before Congress or another moment, there might be a greater consequence despite this, the fact that it's, it's by and large the same thing that you've done. But the organization or the individual against whom you have done this as their honor increases, the punishment for your infraction increases, Right? I'm, I'm, I'm a pastor, and, and I'm, you know, I'm thankful for you to be here. I'm excited, but I'm not the president, and I'm not a king. And so the level of honor that's afforded me is minimal, and so the, the response is minimal. Now, the government, we hold in, in a higher level of honor sometimes. Just the idea of government, we'll say it that way. You know, regardless of what your opinion is of our current government, the idea of a governing body that we agree to, that we, we, we give to in order that it might maintain society, there's a greater level of honor that we give to it. And when we, when we committed an infraction against that government, there's a greater response. And, and if you were to read through the Bible, there, there are cases where you have almost... Uh, complete authority where you have these kings and rulers who reign and, and any sort of minor infraction or offense is met with a great deal of, of punishment because the level of honor that's, that that leader is, is held in. Now, here's the thing, guys. God is infinitely honorable. Every level of honor that we could give, he deserves more. And so when we, when we say that little white lie, we're saying, we're, we're committing a, an infraction against an infinitely worthy, infinitely holy, infinitely good God. And because of that, there's, there's a proportional response. There's a proportional offense. There's a proportional punishment that is due to us. We are we are therefore alienated from God. This is not some sort of thing where it's, oh God, why can't you just, just overlook it? Because he's a good and he's a just God. He can't overlook it. We are alienated and separated from God. Not only that, we're hostile in mind. And the funny thing about being hostile in mind is, is I think that many of us would say, I'm not hostile in mind. And that proves that you're hostile in mind. The fact that we would say, I'm not that bad, we would push back against God's standards. The fact that we would say, you know what, I'm, I disagree. Agree to disagree. 
This is evidence that we hold ourselves. I hold myself at times prior to Christ. I held myself to a standard and I said, God, my standard is the right standard. Your standard is not the right standard. There might be things that you read in this. Yes, people should not commit adultery. I agree with this. But there are other things you're like, well, that's an antiquated book. It's, it's got some mythological stuff in it. This is, this is not me speaking as a pastor, me speaking as an individual who would try to judge the Bible. Uh, and, and I don't know about that. That's, that's hostility in mind. That's saying I disagree. I'm, I'm at odds with what you have to say. The, the way that I think is different from the way that you think, God. The, the standards by which I judge things are different than the standards by which you judge things, God. We are hostile in mind. And it says we're doing evil deeds. In the, in the original language, it, it doesn't even say the word doing. It just says we're in evil deeds. We, are, we exist. We thrive. We, we are among evil deeds. See, what happens when you're alienated and your thought processes are against God is what comes out naturally is, is evil. And again, we might say, well, it's, it's not that evil. But, but when compared to a holy God, it is evil. You know, I was at Target the other day, and uh, I've talked about this before, but it bears repeating. There are those mirrors. There, there are those mirrors with two sides. There's, there's like the normal mirror side, and there's a, oh my goodness, what is that side? Right? Or for me, that's the case. And we often look at life through the, the, what we call the normal mirror, and we say, there's nothing wrong. But then you flip the mirror around, and you, you, know, you see the crevices inside the crevices of your face. You, you see that your wrinkles have wrinkles. And your blemishes, they're, you know, it's like, am I looking at the moon? What's happening right now? I speak of myself. You guys are all beautiful and handsome and wonderful. You see, when, when we look at ourselves in the other mirror, that's kind of how we view it. Ah, I look okay today. But then when, when we look and see with a greater magnification, that's the way that God is able to see ourselves. And he does not miss a thing. And, and so the things that we maybe we gloss over is that's not, that's not that bad. He flips the mirror and he says, no, look at it. It's very bad. When you can see it up close... When you can see it for how it really is, it's, it's very bad. And, and we know this to be true because when we look at other people's sins, we're like, oh, that's very bad. Can you believe what that person did? Can you, can you, do you know what she said? That, oh. Do you see what, what he did? Do you see what, what they wore? Do you see what they bought? And all of a sudden, these people and their sins, you see with that, with that magnification, but then when it comes to you, you're like, well, we'll flip it back. We're willfully separated from God in relationship, mind, and in action. Paul's trying to give a holistic view of our situation. It's, the issue is not just that, hey, we've been separated from God and we need to, let's have, let's have a moment, let's get together, let's hold hands, and let's talk it out. No, because it's not just that we're separated in relationship, we don't even want 
to have a relationship with God. Now you, apart from Christ, you may not want to go to hell. Maybe you grew up and you went to a vacation Bible school and they're like, hey kids, do you want to go to hell? And we're like, no, great. Well, let's have a relationship with God. And you're like, okay, I'll do whatever it takes not to go to that place. And, and that, maybe that's where you are. And you're like, I know I don't want that. That doesn't mean necessarily that you want God. It just means that like everyone else, you don't want to be very uncomfortable for the rest of eternity. Like, you don't have to be a good person to not want that. Not only are we separated, we're hostile in mind, and we find ourselves willing and and desiring and pursuing evil things. And family, if you would just take a moment and just be honest. Just be honest. I'm not saying you have to be honest to me. But in your own mind and heart, there are those things that, you know, you you may have the table set for God and say, God, this is all for you. But, but we all have those things behind our back that we're like, accept this. Accept this. We find ourselves hostile in mind, alienated from God, and in evil deeds. This is life unreconciled. He goes on and he says, but you know what? This is the good news. Verse 22, he has now reconciled in his body by I'm sorry, his body of flesh by his death. So you who were hostile, you who were alienated, you who were doing evil deeds, he has now reconciled, how? In his body of flesh by his death in order to present you what holy and blameless and above reproach. So where we once were alienated, hostile, doing evil deeds, he has made us holy, blameless, and above reproach. And those words are pretty interesting. Holy, if you've been in church for any length of time, you kind of have an idea. It means separated or set apart for a particular purpose or service, right? He, he says that you have now been set apart. You're now, you're now uh, used for a particular purpose. You're now destined and, and designed and, and designated for God, right? Holiness in the Old Testament really had to do with taking things and, and using them only for the particular purpose of, of honoring and serving God. We talked about the tabernacle, and, and, and Will mentioned it, and he did an amazing job. I loved it. And he talked about how, how we had this tabernacle, and in that tabernacle, and also in the temple, you had utensils, you had an altar, you had, you had lamps, you had all of this stuff, and it was all only to be used for this particular purpose. There was even, there was even a special sauce, that was supposed to be used only for the temple. It was this oil. They, they, they mixed it with certain, certain uh, uh, herbs and spices and, and things. And it was only to ever be used in, in, in the temple. It was holy. I joke, it wasn't special sauce. He didn't put it over anything. That would be an improper use. Not only are we holy, it says we're, we're blameless. Right? This idea of blamelessness is is without blemish. Again, if you were to go to the Old Testament and you would look at, at what was required, there was an animal that had to die and you couldn't just take your, your you know, oh man, you think about this as money. You have to give money, right? Because these animals r- r- represented value. You couldn't just take your, let's get Billy the three-legged lamb. You know, I don't, we don't really like him anyways. I'm not really interested in eating that. We'll go ahead and sacrifice that one. You know, he's a little... He's got a droopy side, he looks funny, one of his ears crooked, and he's got three legs. Let's, let's sacrifice that one. No, it had to be a blameless one, one without blemish. There wasn't any spot or, or imperfection. You had to find the, the best of the best of the best, and that was the one that you sacrificed. 
You gave the one that was the best of the best of the best to God. And so he's saying, not only are you set apart for God, but I have made you holy and I've made you blameless. I've made you perfect. There's, there's no sin. There's no stain. There's no imperfection. There's no, no evil deed that clings to you. You are perfectly useful and I can receive you as, as a sacrifice. He says that they're holy and blameless. And, and he goes on, it says, above reproach. There's no charge. This idea of above, above reproach has more of a, a, a courtroom type feel to it. Where the, if you were to go into court, there's, there's no complaint. There's no, there's no record that, that can be put on you. Nothing will stick. You are, you are completely free. You're above any sort of opportunity or ability for someone to bring reproach to your life, to accuse you. Amen. So he says, you once were alienated, separated from God, hostile in mind, doing evil deeds, but he has made you holy and blameless and above reproach. And when you put all of those things in a, in a, in a pot and you mix them together, it, you are perfectly acceptable and righteous before God to be used and outfitted for his purposes. This is the reconciled life. We go from, last week I talked about meaning and how we're made for meaning, we're made for purpose. You know, I'm reading this book and one of the things that he says is that we, we were created for a perfect world to live in perfect fellowship with God and perfect love with one another. That's, that's the world that God created. He created Adam and Eve to be perfectly in love with one another and in perfect fellowship with God in a perfect world. And in the fall, that world was lost. And so now we find ourselves wanting and desiring that perfect world, but we're separated. We're, we're alienated from God. And he says that in the gospel, in the good news, we go from being unreconciled, desiring something that's impossible, to stepping into that possibility. God is restoring, and he's in the process of restoring what once was lost. We're reconciled to him. And, and this whole fitting us, making us holy and blameless and above reproach, if we just kind of sit there and, 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 and it can kind of sound like he's, he's sterilized us, but who cares? What does that have to do with my life? What does that have to do with my situation? What does that have to do with the pain in my life? What does that have to do with anything? I don't care to be holy. I don't care to be blameless. I don't care to be above reproach. And, and, and maybe that's you. And my point is that he has fitted us and restored us and is restoring us so that we might begin to taste the idea of that perfect relationship with God. So that we might begin to step into more complete relationships with others. And so that we might have some sort of means, some sort of way of dealing with the brokenness in our world that, that doesn't involve just looking for ways of, of numbing the pain. This is what it means to be holy and blameless and above reproaches, is God is re refitting us for what we were originally intended to be. Now I talked about a key, and, and 
the Colossians had received the good news. They'd heard the good news. They understood who they were B.C. before Christ and who they were now in Christ, and that was great. But, but there, there's a key. There's a key to how this happens. There's, there's a means by which God unlocks this, and that means is the gospel. And so he goes on and he says in verse 23, if indeed you continue in the faith, stable and steadfast, not shifting from the hope of the gospel that you heard, which has been proclaimed in all creation under heaven, and of which I, Paul, became a minister. Now, if I was writing this, I, I, and I started, and you who once were dead in your, or, that's Ephesians, and you who once were alienated, hostile and mild, doing evil deeds, he has now reconciled you in the body of his flesh by his death in order to present you holy and blameless and above reproach. I would probably, my inclination would be to say, since you continue in the faith, stable and steadfast, not shifting from the hope of the gospel. He, because earlier he had said that, right? We're so excited. We talked about in verse, uh, verses 3 and following. We're so excited about the faith that we heard about you, the, the love that you have for one another, and, and the hope that you're holding to. We're so excited about what God is doing in your life. And so here, my temptation would be to say, I'm, I, you were this way, but now you're this way because or since you continue in the faith. Why does Paul say, if indeed? Why does he say, if indeed? You see, Paul was writing to some individuals who were being tempted to try and use a different key to open the door. They, they had received the gospel, the good news, the fact that Jesus it had, had in his body of flesh died in order to present them holy and blameless and above reproach. But they were, they were hearing some additional things. It's possible that there were some people who were trying to say, you know what, but we still need to follow the law in order to be reconciled with God. We don't just get to be blameless and above reproach. We have to do some things before God can allow us to be blameless and above reproach. There are others who were saying, you know what, God does a lot of things, but what about these really powerful angels over here? I, I wonder if maybe if we live a particular way, if we, if we don't, let's, let's, not, let's not pursue pleasure because pleasure is bad, even though God made the world good and in the right circumstances, these things are intended to point us to God. But th th they were saying, you know, maybe we should avoid certain things that the scriptures don't say avoid. And maybe we should worship or, or, or incorporate some other spiritual things. Into, into our walk with God. Maybe we need some of these other keys. And so he invites them into a dialogue. If, the word if is an invitation into a dialogue. Guys, you were alienated from God. You were hostile in mind. You were doing evil deeds. But God has reconciled you in order to present you holy and blameless and above reproach, if, if, indeed, you hold fast and continue in the faith. What faith? The one which you heard from Epaphras, which has been proclaimed in all creation under heaven, and of which I, Paul, became a minister. This, now it makes sense why he talks about it that way. Why doesn't he just say the gospel? If you hold fast to the good news. Paul, we know what good news you're talking about. Paul says, no, you don't. You're starting to believe other quote-unquote gospels. But I want you to hold fast to what the gospel that you received. Which one? The one that Epaphras talked about. Not the one that these other guys have talked about. The one that Epaphras told you about. 
I want you to believe the gospel that, that has gone throughout creation, not just this new kind of um, thing that's being created and, and, and formulated and fabricated over here, but the one that, that all creation knows about. The one that I am a minister of. Paul was very, very passionate about his gospel because he received his gospel from Jesus after having persecuted the church of Christ. His, his conversion story was one in which he was a Pharisee of Pharisees. He was, he was zealously against what was called the way, the, the Christian church. And he persecuted the church. He approved of their deaths until Jesus entered in his life and said, Paul, why are you, why are you persecuting me? And he has this moment, and, and we believe that in this moment, Jesus himself unpacks the good news, and he says, all of these things effectively, all of these things that you believed in the Old Testament, these things that you claimed to, to understand, they're about me. And so you hear Paul talk about his gospel, or the gospel that he became a minister of, because God so marked him that he said, this is the precious gospel which has changed my life. Do not veer from this gospel. Do not veer from this gospel. This is the gospel that Jesus gave me. It's the only one that matters. And so he speaks he speaks to the Colossians and he says, you who were once alienated, hostile in mind, doing evil, this is who you were, guys, and this is who you are, only if, only if you continue in the faith, stable and steadfast, not shifting from the hope of this gospel. It's this gospel. Not that one. Not the other one. This gospel. Now, we can read this, and your temptation and my temptation is to just leave it at, at face value and say, Pastor Eddie, that's great. I hear you. And, I, and I, if you were to ask me, Pastor Eddie, after church, do I believe the gospel? I would say yes. I believe the good news about Jesus Christ, that he died for my sins, he rose again, defeating Satan, sin, and death, and he's reigning and ruling in heaven. I believe that gospel. I'm, I'm, I'm not trying to follow a different gospel, Pastor Eddie. And I would, I would say to you, have you withheld forgiveness for someone despite Jesus having forgiven you? Because if you have, that's an indication, potentially, that you've not completely embraced the gospel of Jesus Christ. Have you excused your own sin and set your own standard of holiness with thoughts like, at least I have my stuff together more than them. I would say that you've, you've established a different gospel. Have you given up hope, despite the fact that you hear the gospel, but there's something inside you gnawing in your soul saying, I'm, I'm just not good enough. I know, gospel, I know Jesus, you, you saved sinners, but, but you don't know my junk. I would say that you have minimized and set aside the power of the gospel. You see, we may not be going home to a set of statues that we bow down and worship, although that does still happen in the world. That's a very real thing. But there are many things that we pursue as functional saviors. What, what do you do when you, when you come across pain in your life, heartache, do you embrace 
the truth that God is at work in my life and he's drawing something out of me? And, and do you go to him for relief and faith and obedience? Or do you try to numb and suppress that pain? I would say that that's an indication that you haven't completely embraced the gospel. And, and family, I, I don't say this to be, to, to push shame out there. Because the reality is we're all, to use language that our postmodern culture loves to talk about, we're all on a journey. It's true. That's why theologians call this progressive sanctification. Because it's a process that progresses by grace over time. But, but don't hear Paul's call to, to, to hold on to these keys and, and just assume that you have the right key in your hand. Don't just assume, I know, Pastor Eddie, I know. Get on to the other stuff, because I know. I know the gospel. Family, he's writing to Christians. He's writing to people who had been taught the gospel. And, and like, not taught the gospel, but by some guy who lives in Sterling, or, 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 or where do I live, Winchester? Taught by, like, people who've been taught by Paul. Like, Jesus taught Paul and Epaphras probably learned, he, he, I don't think he learned from, a, from Jesus, but or he learned, he's, he's kind of a big deal. I'll put it that way. He's in the Bible, kind of a big deal. These were people who had been taught well, and they were still in danger of veering away. We were in danger the moment we think that we've, we've arrived. The moment that we think, I've got it together. The moment we think, I have mastered this gospel. If we had master, if that was impossible for us to do in this life, God would not have given us this. Because it's, it's so many things to remind us that we're on a journey. If is an invitation to a dialogue. What's, what's, what's in your hand? What good news are you holding on to? You know, what, what are the conversations that you've had with other people where you just can't help but be right. You, you have to argue until you are right. That may be an indication that you are not trusting in the righteousness of God, but you're still trusting in your own self-righteousness. What places of bitterness have you not allowed God to touch and bring wholeness and healing and forgiveness? Have you not brought before God and said, this hurts, where were you, God? Perhaps you're trying to, in your self-preservation, withhold certain things from God. You're not holding on to the right key. What key are you holding on to? Have you tried to overcome the sense of alienation, the sense of being at odds with God in your mind, and the evil that, that pervades your life? Have you tried to overcome these things by your own good behavior, by your own church attendance, by your own Bible reading, by your own praying, by your own reading the latest book by so-and-so? Or have you, have you wrestled with God and sought to trust him in the midst of your situation? I, I, read your Bibles. Please don't, Pastor already said, I don't, that's legalism. No, read your Bibles. Pray, talk to God, attend church, great job, gold stars. I'm glad you're here. But please don't mistake those things for the gospel. Family, God loves you. 
And he, by his grace, has overcome our alienation, our hostility in mind, our evil deeds. And he has reconciled him, reconciled us in, in his body, by his death on the cross, by his blood, by his sacrifice, his atoning work. He has reconciled us in order to present us holy, blameless, and above reproach. If, if we hold to the faith that he has given us. Let's pray. Father, as I read before, I'm praying that you would do great things because you are a great God. Lord, I pray that as we consider your gospel, that as sinners we would repent. As prodigals, we would be restored. As backsliders or those who have run from the gospel, we would, rec- we would reclaim our faith. Lord, that in this room, Satan's captives would be released. That those who are blind to the truth of the good news would be made to see that the brokenhearted, those who are afraid to come to you because they want to protect themselves, Lord, that you would bind up their broken hearts. That those who are sad or despondent would be encouraged and cheered by the hope of the gospel. Lord, that our self-righteousness in every single one of us, Lord, our desire and intention to, to say that we are right, that you would remove that from us so that we might be able to say freely that we are not right, but that you are God and that you have made us right. Lord, build up the faith of every person in this room. If you've never trusted in Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior, if you've never considered the fact that maybe you've you've tried to overcome the hostility in your mind toward God, the the sense of of alienation that you have, the separation by your own behavior. You've tried to kind of walk to God with your good behavior, but you realize that that walk is far too long and you could never get there. If you want to trust in Jesus as your Lord and Savior today, allow his broken body and shed blood to reconcile you. Would you raise your hand? nothing magical in raising your hand. Awesome. Once you put your hand up, you can put it back down. I want you to pray this. There's nothing magical in the prayer. What this is, this is a response to what God is doing in your heart. This is responding to how God is already moving in your heart. I want you to pray this. God, I confess that I am a sinner. That because of my sin, I am alienated. I am separated from you. I have been hostile in mind. I have been an enemy of you in the way I think and the things I value. And I I have done evil things. Because of that, I know that there is a, a punishment that I deserve. But Jesus, I thank you that you died on the cross in my place for my sins, defeating my greatest enemies, Satan, sin, and death. And I receive you as not only my savior, but as the one who calls the shots in my life. Let me hold to this gospel, this good news about your salvation, God, and help me to live in submission to what you call me to do and how you call me to live. In Jesus' name I pray, amen. I love you, family.